Today, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians as we look at our primary identity as God's own beloved children. Amidst the changing identities and the statuses of the world around us, we have hope in the unchanging and eternal nature of God. As followers of Christ, we belong to God both now and forever. I invite you to follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24 in your own Bibles, or look up on the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, Let him remain with God. Now please join me in the call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. Thank you, Benson. And thank you to all of our university students here today. Um, Let's give them a round of applause. They did an excellent job. A fun, quick story that I told at the first service, Gabby was a child at my last church in Houston, Memorial Drive Prez, and it's so cool to see how God calls her to Trinity and then to serve in the church that I'm now working. It's cool, right? God is a good God. So my name is Becky Pritchard. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So grateful to be with you today. Welcome to those who are new with us. We really are glad that you're here in worship. I invite you to keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 7, either on your phone or in a physical Bible. We're going to be digging into the scripture today, but before we do that, I invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So far in our sermon series this fall on 1 Corinthians, we have touched on some heavy topics. Last week, we talked about lawsuits and sexual immorality. So if you weren't made uncomfortable last week, I don't know what does make you uncomfortable. Um, But it's been a really, 1 Corinthians is a very um, important book that Paul writes to the church in Corinth as they are discovering a new life as followers of Christ. And they are people that experience the same darkness and brokenness of the world that we experience today. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, which we've already walked through, um, Paul takes time to address some things he's heard about at the church in Corinth. And now he shifts in chapter seven to talk and answer questions that the church has been specifically asking. So these people that are made new in Christ or following Jesus are asking some questions about how are they supposed to live this new life? So the most of chapter seven, Paul talks about marriage and sex and the identity of Christians within those realms. If I'm single, do I stay single? If I'm married and I'm a Christian and my partner is not a Christian, 
Do I leave my partner or do I find, or do I stay with them? If I'm widowed and my spouse has died, do I get remarried? These are all realistic, natural questions that these people whose lives have been transformed by Christ are now asking, how am I supposed to live now that God has called me to follow him? Many have just converted and they're asking these questions because they need some answers. And Paul gives direction throughout the entire book of Corinthians, but especially here in chapter seven. In the part that Benson read for us today, thank you, Benson, verses 17 through 24, Paul zeroes in on the fact that no matter, no matter what your status is, whether your marital status, your professional status, your social status, As followers of Christ, we must remain where we are and follow the call of God. I've heard Paul is going to build a Big Mac sandwich in his in his these 17 or the 17 and 24 verses. He's gonna have you ever had a Big Mac? Are you hungry? Right? So there's like a bread and then some meat and then another bread and then some meat and the final bread. And so as we look at this passage, he reiterates this point three times in these few short verses to remain where God has called you. That's our bread. We're gonna look at the meat as our examples. The gospel has changed everything for the people in Corinth. Christians can now find their primary and number one identity in Jesus Christ, right where they are in their current lives. No matter their marital status, no matter their political status or their social standing in the community, when they come to know Jesus, they no longer have to fret over the worldly things. Paul reminds them to remain and stand firm in God as his chosen people. So to set the stage here, let's talk for a minute about status. Status is something that we think about probably, maybe it's just in the back of your mind. You may not even think about it, but we all sort of are seeking, where do we belong in this world? And we're looking at other people and we're like, okay, well, um, you know, she's married, he's not he's employed at this place, I'm employed at that place. We have employment status, academic status. Oh, he's on the dean's list. I'm not quite there, whatever we might feel there. Airline status, like we all wanna be platinum and fly for free or first class, right? So we're like trying to get our status um, up there. Chick-fil-A, like I'm 600 points away from red status. Has anyone had red status? Like you get free stuff from Chick-fil-A. So if you can help me out with that. Our status is part of the way that we live in this world, right? We're constantly figuring out where we fit in the world. And when, often when we meet somebody new, they ask, well, what do you do? And in order to describe ourselves, often we tell them our status. Mike Meadows, right in the front row, instead of asking uh, high school seniors, where are you going to college next year? He always says, what are you doing next year? Not to assume that there's some sort of status that they have to be in a certain place, right? But as our, we often give our identity, our status becomes our identity, right? Like, I am a pastor at First Presbyterian Church. Somebody asked me what I do. I'm a pastor at First Presbyterian Church. I'm a wife of Colby. I'm a mom of two very young kids. I, um, I'm a sooner. No, no one. Okay, great. Um, and, but those are things that like I identify with, right? Like we, we, we love to be identified in a certain way. Our world tells us that if we are unhappy in our lives, if we're unhappy in our status, change it, right? Like become who you want to be, be who you want to be. 
If we are not fitting in with the crowds, if we're not doing well in life, just change what you want to do. Our world tells us that we can be anything we want to be, right? Whether it be who we're married to or what job we have or what our gender is or whatever we do, the world is telling us, just change it and you'll be okay. Does that ever make us happy? Right? The changing world around us is volatile, it's unexpected, it's broken, and it's a difficult place to live. When we place our identity and in our status in this world, we will constantly find ourselves frustrated and empty. Our worldly identities always change. My young kids will grow up. I may not always serve as a pastor at this church. Well, I hope, but you know, you never know. You may not always have the same status. And so if we put all of our hope in that, we're devastated when it changes. We've lost something and we don't know why we're sad. We don't know why we're depressed. We don't know why we're anxious because we've put all of our hope in the horizontal world that we see around us. But as people who follow Jesus Christ, we have a hope far beyond the status of this world. We belong to God because of Christ and our identity is in Christ. Our primary, first, only, most important identity is in God. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us is that when our identity is in Christ, all of the rest is irrelevant, doesn't matter. And you might be like, no, it matters. It matters who I marry. It matters who I, where I go. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But what really matters globally, God view, perspective, is that we remain in Christ. So let's take a look at what Paul is saying here. Paul uses the same statement three times, right? He's building the Big Mac. So he gives sort of the statement that he's going to repeat again. In verse 17, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. It's the first layer of bread. Remember that he's been talking about marital status and about, you know, if my spouse has died, do I get married again? If, I, if I'm single, do I try to seek to get married? And he's saying, where you are, remain in God. Wherever you are, stay where the Lord has assigned you. As we read these words, we must remember that Paul wrote, expecting that the Lord would return imminently, like any day, any second, right? So he's writing, he's like, you ain't got time to fuss with another spouse. You do not have time to fuss with your social standing. You must remain in God because Christ is coming. So be prepared, right? We know it's been several years since Paul wrote this, but the <laughs> promise remains true, right? The promise that Christ will return is still true. It feels really far off because our lives are kind of like our perspective on time is weird. And we're like in our lives, we're like, oh, Jesus, come back, you know, just please. And he will. But must we live, stop worrying about what's going on secondarily and focus on the fact that we are God's own children? Our identity is in Christ and remain where he has called us. So let's break this down a bit. Paul says that everyone should lead the life which the Lord has assigned to him. Now, if you're anything like me, you do not like the word assignment because it feels like, oh no, I've got some work to do. I've got to go home. I've got to do a project. I have to complete something. I have to earn something, strive for something, make a grade, turn something in and be judged for it. 
But the other use of the word assigned is very freeing. When you walk into a place to serve for the first time and you're not sure where to go and Wendy Garcia says, come over here, you're assigned to this door. You're like, okay, good. She told me where I'm supposed to go. Or when you walk downstairs to serve in our third and fourth grade ministry, which we need more servers in our third and fourth grade ministry, Rebecca Sweet will be down there and say, come on in here. Here's where you're supposed to be. You're assigned. You trust the person in charge. To be assigned somewhere feels good. You're free. You just get to go and they tell you where to be and you don't have to be paralyzed to make the right decision. What about if you're bucking against that a little bit and saying, no, I don't, no one can tell me what to do, right? I don't want to be told and assigned where to go. But when it's the creator, God, our father who knew you before you were in your mother's womb, he has an assignment for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to strive for it. You are placed somewhere by the God who knows you better than anybody else. The all-powerful, all-knowing God. We, are not, we do not need to be paralyzed with a choice. We just trust God in his assignment. God does the assignment. It's a holy assignment. And it's a call to follow him and be obedient as his child. In the same sentence, Paul talks about call, not like ring, ring call, but like a call from God. We talk about call in church circles all the time. You probably in your banks and your, you know, doctor's offices, you're not like, I'm called, you know, to do X, Y, Z. But we do. We talk about, oh, we're called by God to do this vocation. We're called by God to serve. We're called by God to do X, Y, Z. The call that Paul is talking about here is not about what we do day to day. It's not our activity it's not, our, it's not our vocation or our job. It's the bigger call, the number one thing to follow God. We hear this word a lot, but deeply, it's a divine call to follow Christ, to dwell in the presence of the Father and be obedient to him in whatever situation we are placed no matter if it's Alaska or Africa or San Antonio or wherever we may be with three children or zero children, with ma married or not, we are called by God to remain in him. There's a book called The Call, um, and it's written by Oz Guinness. He writes of this bigger call, and, he, and he's, he, this is his quote. The Call, why am I here? What is God's call in my life? How do I fit God's call with my own individuality? How should God's calling affect my career, my plans for the future, and my concepts of success? God's call is big. It's to remain in him and to follow him. And all those other things happen as, as we're all individually gifted and created. The Westminster Catechism, this is Bob Fuller, our senior pastor's favorite catechism question to ask. Question one asks, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we do nothing else in our lives, if we have no success, we have no money, we have nothing to pass down, we have no children, we have nothing else, the chief end as people who know and follow God is to enjoy him, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's the ultimate call. Our first identity is with Christ. We don't have to worry about the rest. Paul is instructing to stay where we are 
And he continues to explain his argument by giving some meat and giving an example in regards to circumcision. So circumcision was the physical bodily mark and sign of the old covenant back in the Old Testament, right? God with his Jewish people, the chosen race, the Israelite people, they, as, as followers of God, they would, the men would become circumcised and that would, that's why you, you would know that they were part of God's people. And Paul is really saying a very controversial statement here. In, in verses 18 and 19, he says, was anyone at this time of his call already circumcised? Not, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. And he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keep the commandments of God. You're like, well, one of the commandments for the old, old people was like, get circumcised. So it's kind of a little bit of a, like, this isn't fitting together. And what he's saying is, don't worry about that. That's secondary. Christ came to fulfill the law. The new covenant was established. Circumcision was no longer required. Let's stop fighting about it and all just remain with God. There were some Jewish people that had been circumcised and now that Christ had come, we're trying to get uncircumcised surgically. We don't wanna go there. But seriously, I mean, it's like they were trying so hard to make their identity in the world match what God wanted for approval and for glory for him. But really, he was saying, remain in me. Paul probably offended a lot of people by saying these words. Circumcision, it's irrelevant. What's important to God is your heart, is following God and being obedient to him right where you are. Then he adds a second piece of bread, right? The Big Mac. And he reiterates his point again in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then this last section on slavery, this last piece of meat, the example that he gives, talks about slavery. Slavery is a bit more complex, right? Like slavery is triggering. Slavery, when we talk about slavery in our world today, it's incredibly harmful and hurtful and a really, really difficult place to be. But Paul in verse 21 says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Those who are in slavery are still able to follow God even in those circumstances. God is saying, don't identify as a slave, identify as my child and worship me despite your circumstances. Right where you are in the midst of that terrible place, follow me. He's not trying to minimize slavery. He's not trying to make it sound like slavery is a valid practice or he's not trying to excuse it in any way, but he's saying that God is bigger than slavery. God already knows where people are and what they need, and he uses them for his glory even in the most dire of circumstances. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. I just love the way he writes this. Stay where you were when God called your name. Were you a slave? Slavery is no roadblock to obeying and believing. I don't mean you're stuck and can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom you would never have dreamed of. Why don't we live that way in this marvelous freedom that we could have never dreamed about? 
That is what God is offering to us. We, none of us, hopefully, have endured slavery in our lives, right? But yet we are still slaves to this world. We're slaves to our status and our, you know, social, the way we come across socially and our marriages and our kids. We're a slave to the things that are right in front of our faces. And yet God is offering us a freedom so marvelous that we can't even imagine it. It's almost easier to be a slave in the sense that when you think about it, it's like, oh, I want freedom, I want freedom, I want freedom. And God's like, you have freedom. You have freedom right where you are in the midst of slavery. And then Paul refers to the people who are free. Those who are free people are slaves to Christ. We belong to Christ. We no longer follow the world, but we are obedient to God, and we fall under the authority of Christ, placing our hope and our love in Jesus. Are you ready for the truth bomb? Verse 23, buckle up. Verse 23 is the key point here. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. If you were here last week, you heard Mitchell talk about the skin, right? The flesh and how in verse, in chapter six, verse 20, that we just talked about last week, you were bought with a price. So honor God with your body, with your flesh and be sexually pure. We see it just one chapter later. You were bought with a price. You are valuable. God literally sacrificed his only son for you so that you might be free from the chains of sin and death, right? You were bought with a price. Like he loves you that much. He loves you so much that his son would die for you so that we might have freedom. No matter what happens to us in our lives, we were bought with a price. Jesus died for us, taking on all of our sin, literally dying the death that we deserve, being bodily resurrected from the grave. It happened. It's true. It doesn't just happen on Easter. It happens. We know it because it happened, and it's still affecting our lives today. And it's important to remember that no matter where we are, we were bought with a price, and we are valuable to God. So Paul tops off the, mac, the Big Mac with the last piece of bread, and he brings it all back around again to the point he's making. Remember, anytime you're reading scripture and something's repeated, it's probably pretty important. This is the third time he says it in so many verses. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Remain with God. We hear Jesus saying that, abide in me in John 15, as I abide in the Father. When we remain, when we dwell, when we live our lives under God's rule and authority, we are secure. We are on solid foundation. We are not swayed by the movement of the world and the changing of our lives that is bound to happen on this earth. Paul isn't saying that the status of your life can't change. The things like jobs and, and uh, kids and all the different things, married or unmarried or whatever it might be. But Paul is saying primarily and foremost is your identity in me. All that other stuff, it's irrelevant. Wherever you find yourself, remain in me. 
All of us are living different lives. We come from different cultures and nationalities. We bring with us different experiences from our childhood. Some have jobs, others are in school. Some don't know what they're gonna do tomorrow. Some of us are married, some are single, some are widowed. All of us bring together unique stories that God uses for his glory. All of those individual and unique things are very, very good. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, we're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks, we talk about how our different gifts in the body of Christ make up one body. So it's not saying that none of the rest of it you know, is any importance. It's good we have male and female. It's good we have um, Jew and Gentile. It's good like that we're all different people because God uses us differently for his kingdom. But we come together and we are one in Christ. Our, our worldly status is secondary to the fact that we all are working towards God's glory in his kingdom. Even in the midst of our earthly differences, Christ calls us together and uses us for his will. You are assigned by God to remain in him and do, do what he has called you to do right where you are at this very moment. At 1147, 2023, September, whatever day it is. I don't know, <laughs> don't ask me. Okay, in light of the gospel, we do not have to identify only by our status in the world, but we're united to others who believe in Christ. We have a fellowship and a family and we encourage each other as we grow. We don't have to keep being anxious and striving and earning our identity. We don't have to like get approval because God values you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Don't forget that part. That's the most important part, that he loves you so much that his son would die for you so that you might be free from the sin and free from the chains of the world telling you, you gotta be different and you gotta do what you wanna do. You get to be free in Christ. The gospel frees us from striving Often we get paralyzed. Should I go to A&M or should I go to UT? Neither, go to Oklahoma. <laughs> just kidding. But like we're seniors, I sit with seniors in high school and they're like, oh, I just don't know where to go to school. I don't know what's gonna honor God more. I don't know what to do. God is honored because you're in him, not because you went to one or the other. God is honored because you are his, not because you were a CEO or a bank teller. God is honored whether you're single or you're married because you are in him, you remain in him. Let us not be paralyzed by the choices of this world. Yes, it matters, it feels heavy. There's a lot of things that you wanna pray through and discern, but sometimes there's really no perfect choice. There's no perfect path ahead except to remain in Christ right? And honor him right where you are today. Everything else will change. You may go to UT for one year and then wake up and realize this is terrible. I'm going to go to Oklahoma, <laughs> right? Sorry. I just, I have to with Ellen in the front row here. Um, and so, and that's good. And God, it can be glorified in that, right? So like we have to let go of our, of our nitpicking and striving and look at God's, God's global perspective and his love for us as his children, because let me tell you something, in our world, the statuses and the identities that we encounter worldly are gonna change, right? But when we are God's children, our lives aren't turned upside down when things happen to us in this earth, on this earth. If a spouse dies, we know we're gonna be okay because we're God's child. 
If we lose a job or move away from a city that we love, we know we're okay because we belong to God first. If we don't get into that school that we wanted or we don't get on the dean's list, it's okay because we know we belong to God. If we lose our status or our money and things seem to be falling apart, it's okay because we know that God will provide. We are his children and his promises are true. The world around us is constantly changing, but we stand firm in our identity as free people in Christ. We are eternally minded. Let us step back from our day-to-day lives, the striving that we feel when we wake up, and look at God's eternal mindset, which we can't get because we're humans, right? But God has a mindset that, that he sees so much farther beyond the choice that we have to make today, right? The choice that we make is to follow God. God has reached out. It is his doing. He's done the work, and we respond by receiving his grace. If you are in here today and you're like, Oh, unsatisfied with the life that you're in right now. Gosh, I'm always the bridesmaid. When is it my turn to be the bride? Or gosh, I have been working towards that promotion and everybody's overlooking me and I feel like nothing in my job. Or I just got fired and I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Or my kid is struggling with whatever they're struggling with because God knows there's a lot going on with kids, right? That no matter what happens... You belong to God. Remain in him. Put your identity there rather than in the success of your child or your job or getting married. It's painful sometimes to look around at the world and compare yourself and see where you fit in the status. Trying to keep up, trying to be better, trying to decide and make a life for yourself. God has already assigned you and called you as his own child. If you do not know Jesus, we want to talk with you, answer questions that you have. If you're like, I want freedom because I'm so tired of striving in my life. I want to experience this. We want to pray with you. We're going to have some people up here in just a minute while we're singing our last two songs ready to pray. If you are just wanting prayer for anything, come pray. You don't have to give details. But let us experience the freedom of the grace that God offers us. Let us breathe deeply his presence, knowing that when we remain in him, he guides our steps. We can be obedient just to the next minute, the next hour, the next day, trusting that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word to us through scripture that changes our hearts May we be transformed by the power of your spirit. May we settle into the calling that you have placed on our lives, the big calling, the one that we didn't have to do anything to earn. But as we remain in you, give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Let us dwell in your presence as we come to know you more. And let us glorify you in our worship together. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.